0: Welcome to Focus to Life where we'll be laser focused on all things that have to do with defending human dignity, human rights and yes, human life at every stage and phase of development. I am your host Uju.
1: And I am your other host, Matt.
0: And we are thrilled to be here today. Hello Matt.
1: Hey Uju, how are you doing?
0: I am doing really well, Matt, but today I am also very much looking forward to the episode that we're going to have today because we have coming up a loaded episode, a loaded episode. That's our promise to our listeners today.
1: And we have an amazing guest uh, and uh, we will be talking about issue one. What is issue one? Well, if you've been following the news, if you've been online uh, and uh, looking at what's happening in the pro-life world over the past few weeks... Mm -hmm. You will know that in Ohio, uh, they recently held a referendum and the outcome has been uh, quite tragic. So we will be getting into that with our special guest who is here with us today. Beth Vanderkoy is the executive director of the Greater Columbus Right to Life, as well as a political and communications consultant, Prior to her current position, Beth lobbied for clients in the agricultural, financial, and educational sectors. She has managed state and local campaigns and has worked as a staffer in the House and Senate. And she has been fighting the good fight on this particular issue of Issue 1 over the past almost year. So, Beth, we are so happy to have you here with us today on Focused on Life.
2: It's so great to be with you my dear sister in Christ and Matt um, and share with you a a little bit of sobering news out out of Ohio.
0: Yeah we'll get right to that but um, just before we we get into the into the the meat of today's discussion uh, I just want to say something a bit personal that and you, Beth, we go way back. I mean, uh, it's, I know it's kind of a bit odd that an African woman living in the UK would have something to do with, uh, 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 you know, a white woman living in Ohio and working, doing pro-life work in Ohio. But you and I have actually fought a few battles together and been around the block together um we're even we kind of even refer to ourselves as twins (laughs) do you want to say why we're twins just the abridged version
2: Well, you know, so I think the very first time you came to Ohio, and maybe even the US, um, we were both working with our great friend, Patrick Madrid, uh, yes. who's just a wonderful evangelist and apologist. And um, I, I think we did like this. three or four day massive tour of central ohio we had you everywhere (laughs) and like the first day we met we showed up and we matched somehow and then the second day we matched in our outfits yes (laughs) and then on the third day i think i made a joke that we were twinning and we figured out that we were not only the same age uh-huh. Um, but that we had basically been born within hours of each other, and yeah. we had started doing pro-life work together, uh-huh. and uh, and so we started kind of tongue-in-cheek referring to each other as twins and my twin sister, and it it really just shocked everybody because we had them <laughs> utterly confused. <laughs>
0: For sure, we are born within hours of each other. We live in, come from two different countries, two different continents, in fact. Because I was born out in Africa. You were born in the United States. But it is... um, it is a pleasure, Beth. You have been a pleasure for me to have worked with, uh, and you have had me uh speak in all kinds of places, Beth, and you have had my back at many of those events. We have spoken at, uh, you know, taking me to speak at schools, at churches, even at the university, at a Catholic Women's Conference with Thousands of Women. You have had my back on so many occasions in Ohio, but that's also my introduction to the Ohio um right-to-life community or pro-life community as we'll call it uh and this is how i got to know that ohio at least from my experience and my exposure to ohio all those years ago uh is a, a i can say with confidence is a really pro-life state i might be wrong but this was my perception coming in as a pro-life speaker to Ohio on several different occasions in different places. As you said, I did like 12 talks within a space of three days. It was crazy. Uh, You know, and I got to absorb the, let's say the pro-life vibe, if I can use the, the young people's language, I, I got to absorb so much of the pro-life vibe of the Ohio state. So can you just tell us a bit about Ohio's track record on pro-life issues? Because you more than so many, I, th- I think, are in the best position to say, to to speak about that. You, you have been working very close to the ground and the grassroots. So tell us about Ohio's um, pro-life track record before now, you know, all these years.
2: Yeah, certainly. So for those of you who may not be the best at geography, Ohio is a Midwest state Um, We have what I would consider very Midwestern values, you know, uh, kind of a a combination where a little bit of the rust belt, a little bit of the rice, you know, not the rice, the corn belt. Um, So very agricultural, but large cities. Columbus is the 13th or the 14th largest city in the United States. Um, But, you know, a a lot of traditional, more conservative values within our state. And so to put this a little bit in perspective, Ohio has always been a leader in the pro-life movement. And so if you think back to kind of the founding with Dr. Wilkie, I think his name may even be familiar to our Canadian listeners Uh, You know, Dr. Wilkie founded the Right to Life movement really right here. Um, uh, Ohio was one of the first states after Roe v. Wade to pass parental involvement and notification laws. And so our parental involvement laws became really a model for the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Ohio also, sadly, is the home of partial birth abortion. So Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Haskell a later abortion uh, doctor who still owns a facility located in Ohio back in 1992 presented a paper to the National Abortion Federation kind of articulating this new method of performing late-term abortions. Mm. Uh, Ohio immediately, you know, it was so despicable and so vile yeah. uh, that Ohio, you know, Ohio passed, tried to pass the law. it, it You know, it took some time, um, but Ohio was one of the first states to pass what we call partial birth feticide, prohibition against partial birth feticide. And that was a law that eventually a version of it was passed at the national level by a a bipartisan, really, Congress. And so, you know, Ohio has kind of a long history of pro-life, pro-family values Um, we, you know, we passed the heartbeat law, uh, which was introduced in Ohio. I I think in 2011 or 2012, it was finally signed into law by governor Mike DeWine in April of 2019. Uh, and you know, if, if you kind of go back a year, even after the Dobbs decision, so the Dobbs decision on, uh, January 24th. Uh, Of 2002, that was happening really right in the middle of a pretty contested election year for everybody in the United States, including Mm -hmm. here in Ohio. Right, and um, Ohio's heartbeat bill went into effect for about 82 days. Um, And even you know, at the gubernatorial level, uh, Governor Mike DeWine, a long-term pro-life legislator, congressman, uh, attorney general. Uh, And then uh, Governor, you know, he was running a campaign against uh, uh, a Democratic woman named Nan Whaley. And Mm -hmm. really, her her efforts were to turn that entire campaign into a referendum on abortion. Mm -hmm. And in uh, political terms, uh, you know, despite that effort, uh, Governor DeWine did what we would call a shellacking on her, right? I mean... Uh, defeated her campaign in historic levels when immediately following the, uh, you know, the overturn of Roe in the Dobbs decision, you know, things were, things were very, very contentious here in Ohio when it came to abortion. Right. Um, You know, the heartbeat bill was in effect. Uh, We had this really tragic case of a, a 10 year old girl, who was double or triple victimized, uh, and many of you may have heard that story. Uh, she, you know, she came here to the United States, and uh, she became pregnant at ten, and or actually at nine, and she was taken to Indiana for an abortion uh, without permission. Her abortion provider went to the media and talked about this in such a way that she was able to be identified within 24 hours and the media Mm -hmm. were knocking at her and her mother's door. You know, so there was there was a lot going on. And still, with all of that in perspective, you know, not only did Governor DeWine beat uh, Nan Whaley by historic levels, we retained a a pro-life majority in both our house and our Senate. We elected a full slate of pro-life, uh, you know, pro-life elected officials in all of our executive offices. And so, you know, you, you kind of have that context that that Ohio you know, Ohio's pretty pro-life, Life. It's a pro-life yeah. leader.
0: Mm-hmm. It's obvious. Uh, Ohio, I mean from all these things you're saying um, Ohio is a fearlessly pro-life state, and it's not because there isn't any opposition, because from everything you're saying, you do have a healthy opposition there. Um, but then it is that the, the confidence that no matter the kind of opposition that comes, uh, in Ohio, as far as the life issues are concerned, the pro-life side has been winning. So there has been like a, a very, um, sort of valiant, fight going on from the pro-life from the pro-life side and and there has been so much um so much happening but recently something happened so Matt do you want to get into what we've been hearing online it was the other day I and you were talking and we were just observing what was going on uh the showdown in Ohio which came to me as a surprise knowing what Bev, Beth has just uh, uh, referred to now as, as the pro-life Ohio uh, record so you know Speak a bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, anyways, it's fascinating, first of all, Beth. uh, Thank you just for being here and just for kind of uh, giving us the background on the situation in Ohio. Uh, It is fascinating uh, that um, in a place like Ohio, then all of a sudden, the whole world is talking about this constitutional amendment that took place, this referendum, uh, just uh, not too long ago. Uh, Everyone's still talking about it. Um, So how... You know, you know, I go online and over the last two, three weeks, even a month, you go on uh, Twitter or X is what we call it now. Uh, any kind of socials, uh, especially in the pro-life world, if you look at any type of uh, social conservative media outlets, everyone was talking about what was happening in Ohio. Uh, and of course, uh, what ended up happening in Ohio. So I guess. What what is what was this whole, you know, the, the Ohio uh, Reproductive Rights Initiative, uh, Issue 1, this constitutional <laughs> amendment? How did this even come about? I mean, you mentioned you elected a majority of pro-life legislators. Uh, it seems like everyone pro-life in... Pro-life
0: governor as well. Yeah,
1: pro-life governor. Everyone in government seems to be, you have a majority of pro-lifers, uh, people who are reasonable, who will vote for life and family. And yet this thing just exploded Uh, So can you maybe uh, just walk, uh, just take us through this whole initiative, uh, uh, what happened, how it went down and what the outcome was?
2: Uh, Absolutely. So um, in order to kind of put this in a context that makes a little more sense, I need to first take us back to 1912. Uh, very progressive era in the United States. And uh, Ohio's constitution underwent a number of, quite frankly, progressive amendments in the 1912 hmm. uh, constitution. One of those amendments created what we have in uh, in Ohio, Ohio is one of 18 states where you have the ability to pass a constitutional amendment through an initiated process, and so I, I think most people are kind of familiar with, you know, a, a supermajority putting something on the ballot, but but Ohio's process is a little bit different, and really second only to California. In how easy it is for somebody to come in and amend our constitution. So really all you have to do in order to get something on the ballot in Ohio is to get a a number of signatures equal to just 10% of the people who voted in the last governor's election. Uh, So in this case, about 414,000 valid signatures of registered voters, Uh, and you can put whatever you want on to the ballot. And this has been a growing problem in the state of Ohio, and in fact, Uh, It's something that I've dealt with before in my political life, and um, there's a kind of a long legislative and political history with that. Um, But over the the past few years, we have seen an increased number in these initiated amendment efforts to our Constitution. Uh, some of those being things that your listeners may agree with, and some being things they mis- m- may disagree with. Uh, so, you know, one conservative concept would be back in, I don't know, 2004, I think, we had the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, you know, putting into the Constitution that marriage was between one man and one woman. Yeah, uh, but it's the all... DOMA,
0: isn't it? They call yeah. it the DOMA.
2: Yeah. DOMA. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, obviously that's been overturned by the US Supreme Court uh, in a case that started with some Ohio plaintiffs. So we're not, mm. it's, it's not all read all of the time here. Mm. Um, Red being kind of political shorthand for Republican and blue being kind of political shorthand for Democratic here in the U.S. Right. And so. um, But also legalizing of casinos Um, and even on on this year's ballot, we actually had issue one, which was a constitutional amendment for abortion and so-called reproductive rights. But we also had um, an initiated statute uh, to legalize uh, marijuana. Uh, recreational marijuana. And so, you know, I, I I think just the fact that we have that initiated process uh, means that anybody can come in, anybody can write anything into, you know, into language, anybody can circulate those petitions. Uh, and. It's legal, by the way, to bring in paid petition gatherers from other states, um, and you know they were making fifteen, twenty-five dollars per signature plus a per diem plus housing. Um, it can be a very lucrative line of work, and and so you know all of that by uh, by you know early to mid July, we knew that they would be on the ballot in. November. Uh, And so, you know, over the last, really for the last year or a little bit more than a year, we had a good idea that this was coming. Um, We did, we did everything that we could kind of policy wise and politically to try to stop them from getting the number of signatures, but really 10% is a very low threshold. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, ultimately they presented their constitutional amendment, uh, which it will now be in Ohio's Constitution as Article 1, Section 22. Uh, and, you know, I can go through what that amendment says. Yes, please. Yeah. So so basically it, the the first part of that amendment defines that uh, reproductive rights will be a fundamental right in the state of Ohio. Um, And so it starts out by saying, every individual. um, And you'll note kind of the first thing that we talked about was that they referred to the individual, not every woman, Mm -hmm. not every adult, um, every individual. Uh, And then it said, has the right to make and carry out reproductive decisions, including but not limited to. And so that, including but not limited to, was really one of the Trojan horses in this amendment, Mm -hmm. right? And then they listed out five things. And these five things were, you know, what we would say in the political world as very message-tested and focus-group-tested efforts. So the first one that they wanted to guarantee a right to was contraception. Um, Why contraception protection needed to go into the Ohio Constitution, I will never understand. Keep in mind that here in the United States, the federal government is continually suing 80-year-old Catholic nuns to force them to purchase contraception that they neither want nor will use under the affordable health care law. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they put contraception in there. Well, why contraception polls as very popular mm-hmm. uh, The you know, that one of the next things that they put was fertility treatment, um, okay. f- fertility treatment being very popular, um, uh, but also seeming very compassionate. Right. Um, they also put in their miscarriage care. Um but as though doctors and nurses in Ohio would not automatically provide miscarriage care. Of course, uh, they put the right to continue one's pregnancy, which is a strange thing. <laughs> I mean, when I was describing this in public meetings, I think one of the most eloquent things I came up with was just "duh." I, I mean, come on, <laughs> really. And then, of course, last, they included uh, abortion. Abortion,
0: of course. Uh,
2: and then part B of their amendment was sort of the restriction of the state right. Um, and so what they do is they they set up a definition that no level of government, uh, under this amendment, that, that no level of government shall directly or indirectly do anything to burden Interfere with, uh, discriminate against, uh, etc. Either an individual seeking to exercise a reproductive right Mm -hmm. or any person or entity assisting an individual exercising that right. and then they they go on and what I called their, you know, their massive loophole, their loophole of loopholes, mm-hmm. is they did put some language in there that sort of gave lip service to the idea that abortion would not happen after viability. And then way down in the definition, um, they, they note that viability is determined by the abortion provider.
0: Exactly.
2: Uh, And on a case by case basis, Um, but then they also say in the case of the life and the health of the mother and to many people that it sounds extraordinarily reasonable because you and I, we understand, you know, and your listeners, they're, you know, These are people who understand what we might call the principle of double effect Mm -hmm. or the reality that sometimes there are medical emergencies where you cannot save both mom's life and baby's life. That's right. And so you do everything that you can to save the mom's life, and you still treat the baby with dignity. Mm-hmm. And 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 we understand that the terminology there can be kind of confusing because the medical terminology might use words like spontaneous abortion, to which we all know that means a miscarriage. Miscarriage,
0: that's right.
2: Or um, therapeutic abortion, which might be like a DNC following a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um and but, so they, they used that language and put it directly with the phrase life or health of the mother, yeah. knowing that to many people that would trigger thoughts of medical emergency. Yeah. So you can't perform an abortion unless there's a medical emergency. But that particular phrase, like everything else that they drafted, actually has a very specific meaning in the case law here in the United States. And so the phrase life and health of the mother does not mean the kind of medical emergency that you or I might think of. It can mean anything as vague as the mother's age, Hmm. any actual or potential health risk. Hmm. Um, It can mean actual or potential mental health triggers mm-hmm. um and it can also mean the socio-economic status of the mother hmm. okay. so this becomes a loophole large enough to drive the biohazard waste truck through oh, um, yes. and completely puts any determination about if an abortion will happen fully in the hands of the person profiting from the abortion
0: yes the abortionists um,
2: And completely binds any level of government from making any regulation that interferes with this so-called doctor-patient relationship. Um, And then the very last section in the amendment just indicates that it's self-executing, meaning that the legislature doesn't have to pass a law. You don't have to even necessarily go to court. You just assert that right and the government has to prove that you don't have it. And so what we have been warning Ohioans about um, for really the last, since we saw the language last February, is that this is uh, an incredibly misleading amendment, that it was written by folks like the ACLU uh, oh, and by national organizations, national abortion supporters, far left political extremists, and if they were successful... It would result in a taxpayer-funded abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. And that includes painful and cruel procedures on perfectly healthy babies late in pregnancy, Um, that it would eliminate parental involvement and consent before children are engaging in life-altering procedures, not just abortion, but anything that falls under that potential umbrella of reproductive care and reproductive decision-making. And so, you know, when you have that incredibly broad umbrella, we believe that it's also going to extend to things like, uh, you know, so-called gender-conforming procedures puberty blockers, sterilization, even radical sex change procedures. Um, And it's hard, you know, it's hard to articulate that those things do not impact the reproductive system. Um, But even if you didn't argue that, you just have to go to what the proponents are saying. And you can see where these groups are articulating that they're equal, that they're the same rights, that they're the same fights, that trans health care is reproductive care, um, that they are the same fight. You can see when groups like the HRC uh, have joined their coalition, that this is, you know, one of their aims. And then. Uh, overnight, we knew that it was going to repeal just a myriad of laws and regulations that uh, keep women and unborn children safe and also make it easier uh, to prosecute and stop abusers. You know, things like requiring that if a minor goes in for an abortion, that you find out, you know, who was, who, who caused this? Was it, uh, you know, was it a boy from school or was it a soccer coach? Was it a man Mm -hmm. she met from the internet? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, ultimately we were going out um, at a massive disadvantage, even in a state like Ohio and a state with a pro-life track record, because they had uh, an incredibly, Broadly written, a deceptive message uh, that was backed up by millions of dollars, and and quite honestly, some of the most deceptive campaign ads that you've ever seen. Hmm. Um, We're going to get
0: to that. I would like us, like I wanted us to treat that whole thing because first, I I'm so grateful to you, Beth, for giving this highly detailed, you know, I I just wish somehow we could have recorded this beforehand and forced every Ohioan to listen, listen, because this is something that I think the lay person, the ordinary person, the average person might not have understood this, I definitely would not have understood this and interpreted it in the way that you've been able to articulate here with your experience, knowing everything that you've known by working with a lot of the legislature and legislations in your state, knowing what you have known about the abortion movement and their modus operandi, you know, pulling from just different experiences, the wealth of your experience, and then applying it to these amendments, you know, that kind of seem ordinary, straightforward, that have been as you said they had been tested with the audience you know and with the focus groups it's been tested as this is a winning message this is a winning way of putting this in order for it to then pass and then eventually we will then start unpacking it so but I wish people had gone ahead and learned what this meant but everything you've explained now it's scary you know I mean I am outside of Ohio. I have been to Ohio a couple of times, but I don't live in Ohio. Um, But even I, standing here as an outsider, this gives me the chills, you know, just listening to some of things and everything that could fall out of this. I had listened, I had had the privilege uh, of listening to a a, a talk a fantastic talk that you had given which by the way Matt we're gonna have to post it in our show notes I think it's a bit late now but I think everybody should go and listen to the talk you gave at Beth at Guardian City Church um, which I think is an evangelical or Pentecostal church there in Ohio and you I mean more than an hour talk and you gave all of this out you know you you, you were telling people these these things and I think from the references you made, it was obvious you were saying this leading up to the the vote and the referendum. But what struck me watching this video, Beth, is that both you and the pastor you were speaking with, you were confident, you were pretty confident that the constitutional amendment was going to fail. And even... Myself, listening to it and knowing what I know about Ohio and listening to what these ridiculous amendments, you know, proposed amendments were, I was saying surely the Ohio people are not going to be fooled. There was a lot of confidence, I think a bit, very strong confidence on the pro-life side. But Beth, uh, just the other day, I think the first Tuesday of November, this amendment passed. What happened? How did how did the other side win? How did they manage to convince pro-life Ohio into this position where they accept these ridiculous amendments, constitutional amendments?
2: Well, you know, we're you know, when we're when we're taping this, we're just a few days out from the election. And it's always really easy to armchair quarterback a um or, or backseat drive, whatever, um, whatever analysis you want to use um a, an election. But I I will say that for my part, I always knew that there was a good chance we wouldn't win. Right. Um it was a winnable election. Um but I knew that we had to have the money hmm. and we needed to have the the voter contacts. And so, um, you know, I, I would tell people, you know, all of my talks were a little bit different. And that particular talk with Pastor Murphy was a little bit different because um, he was just kind of asking me questions and we hadn't really rehearsed any of it in advance. Yes. Um, but, you know, when I would give a lot of the talks that I gave, I would tell people that, look, in order to be competitive, uh, we need to raise 50 to 60 million dollars. And I want people to sit with how much money we're talking about, 50 to 60 million dollars.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and that's just our side. Yes. Um, and And I think in the end, you know, we haven't seen the final campaign finance reports. I think in the end, we're probably going to be at about 30. Um, so we we needed more money uh, because of just the preponderance of television ads. But I also said that we needed to hit more doors. You know, right. I, I set a goal. You know, we needed for supporters in central Ohio to hit 100,000 doors, and we needed to replicate that across the state right. Um and, and I want to be very, very clear. In the end, my volunteers knocked on about 20, 20, 20 25,000 doors oh. um, statewide. We knocked on um, as vol- like a volunteer group. We had um, uh, kind of all of the collected pro-life regional and statewide organizations. We knocked on about 250,000 doors. Um, We also had kind of a partnership with the Susan B. Anthony list with their canvassing and their canvassing team. I think they knocked on a a few more than 500,000 doors. That's a lot of doors. Ohio, Ohio is a state of about eleven and a half million people, about seven million registered voters. So if we hit close to a million doors, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But we needed to hit more. Um, And we particularly needed to hit more based on the way that they were outspending us three, four, five to one um, on television ads. And their television ads were vile. You know, they were saying things like, if Ohio doesn't pass this amendment, if Ohio doesn't pass issue one, women experiencing miscarriages are going to die That's because lie, our <laughs> amendment protects miscarriage care. Wow. Um, but I also think, I, I, I mean, I also think that there's kind of a reality that we in the pro-life movement have to embrace. Um, and, and I think, um, Sometimes, uh, even just saying this truth out loud, um, I am at a great risk of being, you know, being accused of whatever, uh, you know, of of a weak pro-lifer or not pro-life enough or not faithful enough. But I think we need to embrace the reality that we are seeing reflected in the polls. Hmm. Um, And so polling does not define morality. But it certainly right. describes it, mm-hmm. right? It certainly describes it. And every national poll would tell us that the support for a heartbeat law is about 40 to 45 percent, right? That about 55 percent of people oppose abortion after 24 weeks, and that about 75 to 80 percent of people oppose elective abortion in the third trimester hmm. and and I think at the end of the day the pro-life movement really needs to do a better job of talking to those people in the middle a- right. and don't get me wrong we we put a ton of our energy into talking to people in the middle um but but we need, we need to get better at it and we need to move those people over because if you consider the fact that we ultimately lost this race by about 42, 43 to 57, that tracks pretty closely to the national polling of right. how people feel about a heartbeat law. Or how people feel about limiting abortion in the first trimester, hmm. um, and and I'm not saying that pro-lifers need to go home on being womb to tomb in their pro-life advocacy. I'm not I'm not saying any of those things, but I am saying that we have become very skilled in talking um, in talking to lawmakers. Um, And convincing a majority of lawmakers. And we have become very skilled at talking to the courts. Right. Um, But we need to come back to a place where we get people to understand that they can reject abortion. Without rejecting a loved one who has experienced abortion. Excellent. And. And I, you know, I would continually tell people throughout this effort that don't get me wrong. There is what we would call a body count on issue one Um, in about, you know, a a constitutional amendment that's passed this way becomes effective in 30 days. So in just a few weeks, Ohio is going to see a massive shift in how abortions happen in our state. And the loss of life is going to be devastating. The, uh, the wounds to women and men and siblings are going to be devastating. But I've also reminded people, like in my letter to our supporters, that I've never placed all of my hopes in what would happen on November 7th and what would happen on Election Day. Okay, be- Because I knew what would happen on November 8th. Which is on November 8th, the pro-life people, win or lose, were going to wake up and we were going to reaffirm and recommit to helping pregnant women and families and unborn children and born children. That's true. And I don't need to place all of my hopes on November 7th because I have faith in the resurrection. And so I already know that all sin and all evil and death itself has been destroyed. That is true. And what this really has been um, is certainly an invitation for lay people and atheists and all pro-life people to conform um to conform their jobs, to work for political good, to work and talk about how society should be organized and that we can and should protect the most innocent and the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it as people that also have the great privilege of inviting others to join us as workers in a field that we already know is victorious. That's right.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, you wow. know Beth,
1: I have I have so many thoughts <laughs> as you're saying all this um, and even Uju's uh, commentary to it. Um, essentially what happened... I have I have so many thoughts (laughs) as you're saying all this um, and even Uju's uh, commentary to it. Um, Essentially, what happened a few weeks ago uh, at the vote is Ohio now is uh, pretty much in the same situation as Canada has been. (laughs) And I'm speaking as a Canadian where we've had abortion on demand uh, for whatever reason, fully paid by the taxpayer. Uh, with zero legal protection for children in the womb. Uh, Is that essentially what the situation in Ohio is after this amendment? Uh,
2: That is the situation in Ohio. But I do think, um, and and I'm not an expert on Canada, um, but I do think that we have a couple of things going for us that you do not.
1: Oh, Um, I'm sure of that.
2: (laughs) I'm positive
1: of that, yeah.
2: So at least for the current uh, and even the UK, um, at least for the current time, uh, we are not policing, you know, pro-life thought. Uh, Greater Columbus Right to Life is organized as a 501c3. That's a nonprofit with the same tax exempt status as a church or other charities. Um, And in both Ohio and the United States, we are very limited in what we can do for partisan politics. So we can't say, you know. Um, Uju for president for lots of reasons, but we can't we you know, we can't come out and endorse a political candidate, but we do have the right um, to advocate for an issue advocacy ballot like this was we, even mm-hmm. when it's on the election, we have the ability to go and petition lawmakers, um, you know, we don't have the egregious thought policing that we see going on in, you know, in the UK right now, where they're prosecuting people. The bubble zones,
0: yeah, Yeah. the bubble zones.
2: And and so, I mean, I think those things are going for us, but I do look to Canada as a cautionary model um, because of what can happen when you have such a disregard for life at its earliest stages. And, and I think we also need to realize that just as we've been kind of fighting this this front on the most vulnerable at the early stages of life, it's creeping up on us at life's end. And, you know, I've been able to work a lot with the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition and the good work that they do. Um, but w- what do we really think will happen if for 50 years we have told parents that they can kill their children that's now true. it's time that we're telling children they can kill their parents yeah, that's, wow
0: oh my goodness that's right
1: and you know you know beth uh you're absolutely correct i you know when uh well there's again i have so many thoughts and i wish we could talk for like three hours about this <laughs> uh and maybe we'll have you back on beth uh, but uh, just for starters definitely
0: um, definitely
1: when you mentioned about the the type of language that was thrown into this uh constitutional amendment, uh, I mean, Uju, just a few weeks ago, we had a whole episode dedicated to language, language. and how language matters in UN resolutions and negotiations. Yeah. And it's this whole amendment, like you mentioned, was written by the top leading pro-abortion organizations, multimillion dollar organizations. Yeah. And and it seems like every they single- They could have been job, at the UN. It could, <laughs> have, could have, have been at the UN.
0: This could have just been like you know, a UN working group.
1: Yes. And in fact, I would say that all these organizations, they're all working from the same playbook. That's the right. The blueprint mm-hmm. on creating abortion on demand in every single corner of the world. And, yeah. and, and you know, at first when I was, uh, when I mentioned earlier how, you know, the last few weeks I've been, you know, following what's happening in Ohio on my ex account and just online, I thought it was just all about abortion. So when speaking to you, when you're telling me that they actually managed to, you know, they manipulated this whole process and they managed to squeeze in uh Uh, you know, protection, parental notification issues, and allowing for children and minors to to get swept up by this whole gender ideology business as well. Like, it's interesting how they threw all these things into this one issue, into this one vote, issue one. And then, you know, they do it strategically because they realize that the average person, they're not going to really understand what, like, all the different issues that are at play here right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what the pro-abortion and the anti-family people wanted. They wanted to just completely uh, put in as many things as possible, make it super vague, add colorful language, and then they package it all with this like false sense of compassion, right? Like what you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Beth. Like obviously, if you present it to people, if you present an idea where it says like, don't you care about saving women's lives? Don't you care about mothers? (laughs) Well, obviously, we all care about mothers. (laughs) Right. And we see this at the UN. We see this in Canada. I mean, Justin Trudeau, his whole eight year you know, dictatorship has been all about this type of colorful, flowery language, which really doesn't mean anything. Uh, but this is what they've been doing. And yeah. I guess my question, I'm kind of going on a bit of a rant here and I, I tend to do that. So I apologize. But, um, no, but my, here my, is necessary. Actually. My, my question to you, Beth, is this. You mentioned the vote was, it, you know, it wasn't an overwhelming majority. It was a 56 percent, 57 percent. They won. Uh, so, 56, 57% of Ohioans uh, voted for this. Uh, so, with a bit more education, I think if folks, you know, if you're able to knock on another million doors, right? If the pro life cause uh, or the pro lifers were able to put in more ads or just educate people, inform them on exactly what's at stake here, I believe that it, we would have won. I believe we would have won. So, the question is, why isn't it, why is it that, uh, like, or what should pro-lifers do?
0: Yeah, what can we do
1: to what gain back
0: this 11% to... or 10% back to us? That's
1: right. And, and to also just educate or just inform people. Because, I mean, you know, from, our, ex- from our, our experience, just just another little example here. A few years ago, we commissioned a poll about abortion funding. Like you mentioned, I can mention earlier, abortion is fully funded by taxpayers here in Canada. And uh, when we, when we, the question was, did you know that in Ontario, in the province of Ontario where I live in, did you do you know that you know uh, roughly, uh, I think it was between thirty to fifty million dollars of taxpayer dollars go towards funding abortion in this province? Ninety-one percent of people had no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, uh, more than sixty percent of people, when informed of the situation, they opposed the status quo of abortion in this province. And I thought to myself, man, do we have a lot of work to do? Yeah. And and so, Beth, is it just an issue of we need to knock on more doors, we need more money, uh, we need to reach out more people, or is there something else? Or is it maybe just that simple? We just need more. Or the churches, or you or know, the churches. Where, yeah. where
2: should we? What's be? What's going on here? Well, um, I think the answer is all of the above. So, uh, first California and Michigan last year were kind of their test cases. Ohio this year was their big state with all of their focus, but they're looking at a half a dozen to a dozen States next year. And, and again, I, I think we have to be very careful not to underestimate our opponents. Uh Um, you know, I, I, I think sometimes we we do that. Um, We assume that our opponents are just, you know, the people who are supporting abortion are just, you know, making financial. They're they're just doing it because they're in it for the money. And and Mm. I think when we do that, we underestimate them and we we make it easier for them to defeat our arguments. So we need to stop underestimating them. And that includes acknowledging that this is part of a much larger political machine. Um, And and I also want to make it very clear, it's not purely a Republican versus a Democrat issue, Um, although certainly you have very strong institutional support for life in the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party. Um, Is it a church problem? It sure is. So, you know, I, I don't know about you, Matt. Uju and I are both Catholic. We work with a lot of churches some of our strongest partners in this entire battle were our bishops and our pastors. Mm-hmm. I was so humbled to see the response from leaders in the Catholic church. Oh, that's but great. we have to acknowledge the truth that this issue was polling at 50% among Catholics. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think we try to tell, we try to tell ourselves lies. We try to tell ourselves, well, that's just people who identify as Catholic. It's not people who attend mass every week, but it is. And and I think we need to do a better job at proclaiming that really, what is the beauty of the gospel of life? And we need to invite people to understand what it is that they're saying yes to, um, that we're taking back, you know, the the very nature of what it means to be human is under attack. And uh, the campaign people would get very nervous when I would start talking about this because it's when you can get, you know, misquoted or taken out of context. But as somebody who believes there is a good, and that there is evil. Um, if we define evil as the intentional taking of innocent human life, yeah. um, that it, uh, that is abortion. Um, and what can be more evil than that? And I think we need to come to the realization that we are at war for human... We, we are part of an eons long war for what it means to be human itself. Mm. And there are people who are trying to break down very human nature, the very nature of what it means to be human. And they're trying to build up in its place, something that resembles themselves and their own vision. And that is not a new battle. Mm. Um, That is not a new battle for people of faith. Um, And it may not, it, it, it will not be a battle that, uh, it is finally, de- you know, defeated in the ongoing sense uh, until the end of time as we know it. But but certainly it is going to go after our most vulnerable. It mm-hmm. is going to go after children and it's going to go after the very institutions that form us in our understanding of what it means to be human. And that is the family.
1: That's right. That's it. That's
2: it. And. And so we need, you know, we need to strengthen pro-life vocations. And for some people, that means volunteering at a pregnancy help center. For some people, that means having the courage to stand out on the sidewalks. I tell our volunteers, do not back away from prayer at the sidewalk based on the fact that it's intimidating and it's scary. Of course, it's intimidating, scary. You are volunteering to go at the line in the sand between good prayer, the source Mm -hmm. of all Mm -hmm. of our strength Mm -hmm. and evil. Of course it is going to be scary for some people. It's going to be working in, you know, building up families and mentoring moms and feeding the hungry and Caring for children. Um, and in some places, it's just simply going to be raising the next generation of leaders um, and, you know, focusing on the domestic church. And But we all have a role to play. Um, yeah. and, and I guess what I would say is that I hope what Ohioans learn the most um, is that our hearts can be broken, oh, but yeah. our resolve can be strong and our yeah. faith can be unshaken. And so we need to be there for other states next year, we need to be making those phone calls, we need to take a weekend of vacation and go help them in door to door. And we have to maintain the drumbeat here at home. and I, I don't know. Let us know what we can do in Canada without getting kicked out by the PM. But um... <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know, you know,
1: you know Beth, Beth, you are speaking. You are speaking my language. You are speaking my language. You have to language. get
0: Beth to, to Canada you to know, fight I, to fight someone. You,
1: you know, know Beth, I, I love. I love your your hopeful. Uh, there's so much hope of what you're saying, and you know. Uh, Canada, we've been at this for over fifty years, okay, and it's become so bad. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, you brought up euthanasia. We have abortion, we have euthanasia now. Our mm-hmm. our government is expanding euthanasia to uh, people with mental illness. So it's not just mm-hmm. people who are old and sick and dying. It could be as it's kids. It could be teenagers. Anyone. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're on the spectrum. Uh, uh, like all all the evils, all the different tentacles, you know, of the beast: abortion, euthanasia, death. all, all yes. these things. We've been experiencing this. And actually, I'm so happy that you brought faith into this because. And even I've noticed the shift within the Canadian pro-life movement, you know, when I first started, and uh, I don't know if it's the same for you, Uju, in the UK, uh, but uh, certainly not in Africa, because Africa is still very much grounded in faith when it comes to these things. But Amen. In, Can- in Canada, <laughs> when I first started, there was there was this push of like a lot of people in the pro-life movement were saying, listen, let's not talk about religion, let's not talk faith. Yeah, let's separate. separate it, let's yeah. focus on this and that. And, you know, I can in life. We've always been like, no, 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 no. Faith is uh, prayer is at the root of everything that of we do. It's the yeah. foundation. It's yeah. about good and evil. It's about life and death. And I think because it's become so bad in Canada, uh, those in the pro-life movement, in the Canadian pro-life movement, we've all I'm so happy about this, but we've all embraced the fact that we are people of faith. <laughs> but we are also people of people, like we are Easter people. We are people of hope, and yeah. all the battles, everything we do, day in and day out, whether it's politically, whether it's street activism, whether it's lobbying, engaging, mobilizing pro-lifers, uh, we have to all do this through faith and mm. and, and and believing in the truth. Because ultimately, uh, you know, I mean, I, I hate to sound cheesy here, but you know, the truth will set us free,
2: and yes. and we
1: have to realize that. What happened in Ohio is is happening all around the world and it's not yeah. going to end and it's going to get worse and worse. But we have to just remain faithful. We have to remain mm-hmm. faithful to the cause. And and, you know, I am Catholic. And uh, the fact that your bishops were involved in helping you guys is just Amazing. music to my music to my ears. Because unfortunately, we do not have the same situation in Canada and we have some very awesome bishops, but uh, far, far too many of them uh, remain silent. And uh, it's 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 a big uh, cross that the pro-life movement carries <laughs> that sometimes we don't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the bishops and all the clergy on our side, unfortunately. Mm. So anyways, that's my other rant. Wow. Mm-hmm. What about you? What are your thoughts?
0: This is, you know, as you said, Matt, I think that, the best thing is that we're going to have to have Beth back here to discuss more things with us, because I think the Ohio is the Ohio situation is just the tip of the iceberg. As you mentioned that they're coming for more. This is the, this is how the other side does their work. They deal on blueprints, you know, once once they've succeeded, once they've gained ground, they've gained a the territory. It kind of spurs them on. They never stop. They never stop. It's just they win one ground. They're going to the next. So. I, th- I definitely think that we should discuss more on these. Um, that Ohio is a lesson learned, uh, but that even from there, love what you said that our hearts may be broken, but then our resolve, our resolve to continue, to keep fighting should be all that much stronger, even with our broken hearts. We should then, because of Ohio, uh go out and and make sure that we're waiting for those other 12 states or any other place or country or region where the abortion movement is going to rear the its ugly head because it's really one and the same wherever they exist, whether it's in the, you know, in, in Ohio, in the state of Ohio doing this at the state level or whether they are the United Nations doing it or whether they are approaching African countries. It's really very similar wording. If I pick up the wording of this new amendment that has now been voted in you know in ohio honestly you will not be surprised or shocked to find a part of it a clip of it a, you know a sentence of it repeating itself in an african parliament we're seeing these things right because it's the same aclu the same amnesty international the same uh you know international Planned Parenthood Federation they are the same people working at state levels in the United States working in Canada you know across the different provinces the same organizations in their international reincarnation they are the same people working in the African uh, on the African continent in the different African capitals so they have that benefit of being in an international movement that whatever they do and succeed in in one place even if it's In one state of the united states they can then take it straight to the capital of an african country or you know to any other place and they're replicating it all over so beth we're gonna need your expertise we're gonna need your wisdom your own experience and the, the you know the benefit of your broken heart if i could put it that way for what has happened in your state um so we're definitely grateful to have had you on we're grateful for the incredible um depth of your explanation as to what happened in Ohio and how we can come out of it, you know, with lessons learned, valuable lessons learned. And the fact that there is always hope for the pro-life movement and the fact that we are going together. But what I know is that for us to go together, I think it's this is what we're doing now, is the right approach is that we have to start uniting and making ourselves a bigger movement because this is a large movement we're dealing with on on the opposite side. It's an international movement. And up to now, I I know that a lot of the pro-life movement is quite localized you know whatever you're doing you're doing it at state level whatever you're doing you're doing it even at your local legislatures um, but I think that the time has come for you know Africa to unite with, Euro- with Europe and the United States or North America we have to start thinking more in this you know in this larger format right that what happens in ohio should be of interest that's why i am mad said we have to this is ohio and it kind of seems localized but we have to have beth on because what happened in ohio i think it's a glimpse of what could happen anywhere else so we're definitely grateful and yeah have us back in ohio <laughs> i need to come back to ohio to see what has happened to my ohio to see you know what has gone on and, and to speak with with some old friends there as well people that we've worked with over the years to know exactly what happened and what we can do to make things a bit better from what has happened for, you know, in the last uh, few days here.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, one last thought, I know we're probably running out on time. That's okay. I I think this idea of unity is really important. And, you know, I think one place that the pro-life movement has continually struggled is with the concept of unity. Um, and whether that is, you know, kind of theological arguments, whether that is strategic arguments, you know, whether that's just individual kind of our little territory and our little niche and our way of doing things. And um, to a large part, I completely understand that. Not Not only because it's part of our human nature, but also because you know, a lot of us, maybe we come at this from a a, a faith based, mm. in which case it's natural that a Catholic and a Reformed Presbyterian and a Baptist all kind yeah. of duke it out over the theology. That's right. Um, and, you know, we're going to have differences. Do you show the victim? Uh, do you feel images of the victims or do you not? Like, there are legitimate distinctions here that I think kind of give, like, unique local and individual flavor to all of our organizations and allow us to reach more people and that's amazing um but at the end of the day uh, we have to make sure that we're not ultimately fighting against each other you know um and and that happens a lot and it did have i mean i didn't touch on that but it even happened in ohio You know, where we had kind of newly formed organizations who, you know, coming up to this uh, election were telling people, don't trust anything the institutional pro-life movement has to say. And uh, I I mean, we have that. And I always try to remind people um, that isolation and division are works of evil. Mm -hmm. um and we you know we can have those disagreements but we need to we need to agree and we need to come together and we need to speak with one voice
1: absolutely wow amen to that
2: uh Matt
0: (laughs) this is it I'm glad this is I'm really really glad that we we brought Ohio to the forefront and let people know what is going on there so Thank you so much Beth for for coming on Focused on Life to to share your your deep and profound expertise. Um, and we're hoping that you would definitely um, be back again to to enlighten us and, and tell us a bit more about what you're doing and what you're doing following, uh, you know, in the aftermath of, of the, the, the referendum and how it's going to be playing out in the next couple of months uh, ahead. So thank you so very much. We're very grateful to have you on.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Beth.
0: Wow, that was Beth van der Koy, executive director of the greater columbus right to life and i mean matt beth has just given us so much to think about so much to digest so much to download and i think like i mean we can't really add much more to it matt
1: no you're right and you know what a privilege is what a privilege it is to have someone like beth Mm. someone who was on the ground you know very much involved you know she mentioned to us just when we were kind of off the call saying how she she's she's for like the last nine months she's been traveling and speaking on this issue trying to yeah. mobilize the grassroots and lobby and get people to be aware and informed mm-hmm. so she's the real deal Uju. she is the real deal
0: absolutely and
1: we're so thankful to have her on our podcasts on focused uh, on life and i have to say uju uh, after listening to her and to, to what she had to share with us It is becoming very clear to us that what we're doing with this podcast, we're on to something. We definitely are. (laughs) Because uh, we originally wanted to do a podcast like this to to show the world, to show pro-lifers that uh, what happened in Ohio, for example, is not unique to Ohio. This is happening everywhere around the world. And these things, like we mentioned earlier in our conversation with Beth, uh, the pro-abortion industry, they are following a blueprint. They are following these guidelines uh, that they are – faithfully trying to implement all around the world and oh yes it's happening now in Ohio but it could happen in your state it could happen in your country uh in Canada I mean we got our own fights to deal with uh in a way we're ahead of the game for all the wrong reasons but man oh man what a great conversation
0: what a great conversation and we're grateful focused on live uh podcasts uh, I, I'd encourage everyone to tell people about this this show. Tell people, you know, share this podcast with someone you know. Um, you know, subscribe. Help us to get the word out because. We might have the best conversations on the podcast, but until we have many people listening to it, I don't know that we can really be impactful. So we're really grateful for those who are listening. We're grateful for our new subscriptions that have come. We're grateful for the incredible downloads that we're having, but we still need more people to tell other people about Focused on Life.
1: That's right. So if you have any comments or questions, be sure to email us at focusedonlifepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to go to our website, our homepage, focusedonlifepodcast.com, and that's where you can find all our episodes. Uh, there are links to all the various platforms. You can subscribe to whatever platform you use, whether you listen on your phone, on your laptop, on any you know iPad or, or tablet. Uh, we are on all the major platforms. So please subscribe, follow, share, and uh, we can't wait to uh, record our next episode. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, dear friends. And don't forget to stay focused
0: on life.